Talk a little bit more. Wet See, farts. Like wet farts. <laughs> Stop saying God. wet farts. I hate it. I hate it so much. What's after breakfast? What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas. It's weird brunch. Did y'all, I don't know if y'all follow like anti-MLN news, mm-hmm. but the young living girlies are losing it. Did you hear about this? No. So like six months ago, a bunch of their top whatever leaders, the people who've recruited the most money and swindled the most people, all like had a huge exodus to this other company called Modern, which I don't even know what they sell. <laughs> In the last month, there was this um, young living previous rep now she's at modern that like got on an instagram live to like talk about how like young living is like of the devil now Mm. (laughs) because she got shipped this book from young like she was still on the distro list for it and it's a book that's like very wooey not only like essential oils heal you but it also has a lot of kind of esoteric things in it like meditation and putting yourself as a godhead in your own life like that kind of shit right and so she has this book and she's like (laughs) you can watch the instagram line it's really funny she's like this is the darkest thing that's ever been in my life and she goes Ooh. off about how like young living is now like strayed from gary young's initial like christian oily teachings and now it's of satan because that book isn't even a young living book the forward to it was written by the current vp most a lot of the young living girls their whole thing is like a christ-centered life and so people are just like fucking jumping ship because of this book and it's just it's very funny when they like eat themselves yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah I saw some girl on TikTok that was like, y'all, all the Monat, is that how you say it? Monet. It, it's modern nature. So yeah. Monat. Mon- Monat. All the Monat girlies think that Beyonce is wearing is using, Mo- Monat. Is using Monat. And it's and the girl's just like laughing because of the idea of Beyonce, queen of the universe, using something Are you like talking that. about uh, walking on Lexapro? <clears throat> mm, I don't She's remember. a blonde, blonde girl. Yeah. Mm. Huh. At least we got to see Dolly. We got though. to see Dolly. Lisa did it. <laughs> wow. Thank you. I'm sorry. I am sorry. I really, I really wish I could have taken you oh, along. Oh. It doesn't I seem do. like that when you're like. It, in it was a hot it. ticket. It, there were a lot, a lot, a lot of people there. I do. Yeah. But I did get you something, and I'm gonna give it to you. What? Now. Yeah. Don't do that. They only had two XLs, but I'm wearing mine too. And you can wear it as a dress like me. It's, it's a, a giant it's, Dolly Parton oh Palti. Oh my God. Very large. God, I'm so excited. Yes. It's the sleep shirt. I mean, oh, I've I'll been wear wearing this. it since, since uh, Saturday, Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And we're recording this on Wednesday. <laughs> Yikes, sure. Whitney. Sure. I mean, I will still be That's wearing what that it. Smell was. Oh my yeah, god! Was... Thank you. Yeah, I I was like, I have to get Lisa's. So, like, yeah, I can't. I can't. She not. was determined mm-hmm. to do so. Well, when we showed up, it was kind of in the middle of the keynote, which was when she was talking to Dan Patterson about the book they wrote together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is not very entertaining, but she obviously very much so. Yeah. Is. Oh yeah, she's like just on like. She didn't Jokes miss a beat on anything. It was Connie Britton that was interviewing them. <gasps> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lisa's dead. And yeah, her hair looked her really hair, good. Oh, ugh, the best hair. Oh no, Lisa's, Lisa's gonna, gonna start, start crying. crying. I just watched Friday Night Live. Oh yeah, like, I just binged it this yeah. like in the last year. Yeah, 
they did all play a little bit of football in the middle of it too it was nah. kind of awkward yeah <laughs> explosions in the sky was right <laughs> well, they might have they might have been yeah. it's totally possible you never know. yeah they are oh yeah. god it was it was a really good show i got my emotional support doll Smiling. we got her in mm-hmm. no south by badge for her which is weird they didn't ask yeah they didn't um <laughs> It's I'm funny. sure they didn't want to ask you. Anything. No, a lot of people didn't want to make eye contact with me. It was pretty great because I had her out almost the entire time. I was in I was in front of Whitney and KB and every single one of their pictures is like you can see Smalley Dolly just, just kind of in the head. corner. And every video, it's maybe like if it's a 30 second video, you have about 10 seconds before Dolly. Oh, I, I, I watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I watched it. How many times did you try to put her on your shoulders like a child? Um, Not that many. I was trying more to but like. More than more as like a beacon, okay. kind of like flight path kind of thing to wave yeah. at Dolly, but I don't, I don't know how far she like could see her. her if she was purposely ignoring the crazy. She probably woman. was ignoring us. On I was kind like in some of those videos. I was like, is she gonna notice it? Right. That's what was my goal. Well, I was. If we would have been able to get to like front center, put Smalley on the she would. barricade. Oh my god! I bet she would have said something then. How right? Not or a security. You do, and then a security <laughs> comes out, and they're like, "We have to escort you off the premises, ma'am." And I would be like, "I used to work here. She's fine. Don't yeah. worry. Like, I promise. Like, it's it's more of a joke and less of a creepy thing. We yeah. swear." <laughs> It'd be good for you to lie for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a good time. It was fantastic. I can't wait to wear this shirt and say nothing about how large it is yeah <laughs> be like no i lost weight yeah yep. um this is a small this is a small i'm just tiny like this i, I, I like big shirts i'm a big shirt person now oh yeah officially I've, I've been a big shirt person for a little bit yeah. i mean so it's back crop to big this shirt. yeah the <laughs> idea of buying a women's cut down, shirt like, low though yeah oh i had a dream this is perfect i had a, i had a dream and this was after y'all, this was the night y'all went to Dolly. And this is just how much I'm, a, you know, mm-hmm. I was about to cry just now. I had a dream that there was some kind of like activation, but it was X Games and Jackass type mm. stuff happening. Mm-hmm. A realistic dream. Yeah. And it was kind of, it was one of those bars where there's a volleyball thing. Like yard a weirdo situation. Yeah. Yeah. But like large, very big. And I looked over and there was a woman in a royal purple uh, gown or something. And I walked up and it was Dolly Parton. And I was like, are you about to sing? And she was like, well, yeah. (laughs) So then Dolly Parton was performing with like jackass shit happening behind her. She visited you in your dreams though because she She knew. She knew I was sad. She really did. But like, I mean, people were getting shot out of cannons and getting (laughs) like punched in the balls behind her. And I was like, this This is is actually a genius idea. I think everyone would be down. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd go see that. I've never had a visionary dream until today. Until today. Until whatever night that happened. I mean, we could make it happen on our own. We just got to scout venues. Yeah. Also, when I said visionary just now, I realized how very, very, very over all of these reimagining basically like a it was a documentary and now we're gonna do it with Jared Leto or whatever. Oh, sure. I am I am extremely over it. Are I you- liked inventing and yeah. I liked a few yeah. of the and like the Tiger King one and now there's the w- drop out 
the dropout and now there's the one about we work and i'm like i've watched all these documentaries why do i need this i didn't know there was a i haven't watched the thing about pam yet which i also want to watch i do want to watch story that. is that i know it has it's advertised to me so i know it's renee zelbinger but what is know. it is it a real story yeah okay. it, it was so listen to the podcast it was also called the thing about pam it was done by the dateline people it's really good but if i'm recalling it correctly pam befriends this woman who like has cancer or something like that she's dying and pam eventually she like endears herself to this woman i'm pretty sure this is it sorry if it's not and she basically gets her to infiltrate her family a little and like changes the will and convinces the mom to be like okay my daughters are in there they were in their like teens mm -hmm. right but not probably like high school teens Pam was like leave the money to me and I'll be like the executor of the estate and then the woman does die mm -hmm. and then Pam fully Takes fucks over, over money, everybody yeah. I well, think it's like the it. shrink next door yeah, yeah it's it's kind of like also that. <laughs> yeah I haven't watched the remaking of that I did watch the one with Joshua Jackson, though. The yeah, one, watch that dirty, one too. or the bad doctor. Yeah, whatever that was Dr. Called. Death. Dr. Death, yeah. Bad I doctor. Bad I, did watch, doctor. I watched Inventing Anna, mm -hmm. mostly just because I think the accent is so fun. Like, every time she talked, it's I was like, so fun. I mean, yeah. that is how she sounds, Yeah, too. it is. Yeah. And What's-Her-Face did such a great job. And I like What's-Her-Face. I like her a, a lot. lot. I oh, the girl from Ozark? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she did a really good job. Julie, it is very, yeah. like, yeah, we were talking about it in a previous episode, and you are saying how, how Shonda Rhimesy it was. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. is very mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the dropout, though. It's not I, over yet. I don't that's know. That's the other, that like, I like it. And then Carol versus Joe or Joe versus whatever it is. It is, I'm, like, fascinated by the show mm -hmm. far more than i was it's kate mckinnon and then the guy who did who originated yeah, right? yeah yeah he's from role. el paso cameron so I, know. I, don't I don't remember, remember. yes yes he's wonderful i like cameron Pamela mitchell lot, or something um, I, yeah i i absolutely love him but like the show is just the whole time i'm like what because it's like is it like funny no or is it like drama it's like how this woman would actually feel is take all of the memory out of it and like let's actually talk about these people as people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is weird. Some of it is funny. Yeah, I mean, and all of the animals are like aggressively fake, which I also find funny. I like that. It's just like, what is this? It's almost like a new version, a new genre of something. Because we've already gotten the doc, like we've already seen the real world events of these things. Like, I guess, I guess it's just easy to maybe write, just recash in on something like that, get a big ish name on your TV show, and the story is already written. Mm -hmm. You just have to adapt it. Well, let's. We should That's start. A lot of <laughs> TV. It's bunny trailing. Well, it's, I don't, it's, I don't know. I'm just like, it's related this, to like, the subject matter because it is true crime. Yeah. Because true crime, I feel like the ways that we've absorbed true crime have been documented, like straight up documentaries are stuff like Podcast. Dateline, Forensic <laughs> Files, reenactments. 2020. So this is kind of like a, the evolution of where you have very well produced 
streaming documentaries that's now turned into reenact a giant it's like, reenactment. It's like when yeah. there's a movie and then they make a book of the movie as opposed to there being a book and then making a mm-hmm. movie out of it. But it's like a the, the true crime version of that. Yeah. Mm. Well, welcome to Weird Brunch. Bienvenidos. Bienvenidos. Um, I'm Whitney Lamond. I'm Haley Lamond. And we're here to do this for you. I'm sorry if I am sniffly and gross sounding because allergies are really bad for me right now. Elm is a bitch. Mm-hmm. Elm is a cruel mistress. Cedar is too. Mm-hmm. And the cruelest. I feel like Elm goes under the radar because Cedar is more popular, but. <laughs> Very B list. Yeah. Like Elm I, who? Yeah. yeah. Elm's a who. Elm is a. El- Elm's like the Kelly Rowland. <laughs> mm hmm. Michelle Williams. Because you yeah. have like, I mean, clearly Beyonce is Cedar, but mm-hmm. then I would say Mold is probably Kelly, and then maybe Elm is Michelle. Mm-hmm. True. Because Mold is always around. And this is regional to Texas, like other places. But so other is things, Destiny's right? Child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is true. Yeah. Straight out of Houston. Lest we Texas forget. Yep. This, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, well, who wants to go first? I would like to go last because mine is boring. Okay. Okay. Way to set that up. Mm-hmm. Very cool. It's about homes. Okay. We, we're currently in one. Yeah. No big deal. Is, are you just going to get on Zillow and just describe yeah. houses to people? I mean, honestly, if I went through a bunch of houses in Austin and the square footage and the cost, I, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> that would inexplicable. Suffice. Doesn't Usually. add yeah. up. Yeah. But No. I don't. Do you want to go? First I can or go first, first okay. if you don't. But want now to. there's mystery around mm, my boring story. Oh, what could it be about? Um, mine is also mysterious. Wait, <laughs> sorry. Yes. One last thing. Yes. Because you just said mysterious. We've been watching unsolved mysteries, mm. like the throwback. The old? Yeah, the throwback okay. ones. Mm-hmm. Every single one has a. This person was given gave up their child for adoption and now they want to find them and I'm mm. like this is part of why I was fucked up because yeah. right. I watched it all the time and it was like these people were reunited after an adoption yeah adoption 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 and I'm like this is so weird yeah anyway. well this was an episode of unsolved mysteries so maybe Look you've recently heard it it might sound familiar to y'all so this is the mysterious case of Cindy James. Cindy? Uh, Cindy. Cindy. I just said it weird. I read Cynthia, but she went by Cindy, so then I fucked it Cynthia. up. Cynthia. James. That's how I describe music yeah. sometimes. Well, Cindy. Cindy. So, um, <laughs> I do lower my voice quite a bit. It's very Cynthia. Very Cynthia. So, Cindy, she was a nurse. She's pretty cool little lady right she's in canada that's where she was from her dad was a military doctor or nurse and so they hopped around a bunch right army Army brat yeah her dad was super strict it was said that he kind of treated her like a live-in maid almost so they were very her parents weren't like the nicest but you know whatever they Mm -hmm. weren't like uh, outwardly abusive as far as i know 
Um, Heavy on the discipline, sounds like. Yes. So she kind of, she grew up, didn't have the best time, didn't have the worst time, but she had this kind of, you know, she wasn't really close with people, I guess, didn't have that loving tenderness all the time. So in the 60s, she's like, I am going to go to nursing school. She is in nursing school. She's liking it. She... Kind of has some weird things going on, though. So her family, what prompted her to go to nursing school is her her dad, her mom, and she has a brother. They I don't know if the brother went with them because they were a little older. They move across and back to Europe or something. And Cynthia, or God, I'm going to keep calling her Cynthia. Cindy is like, fuck that. I'm staying here. I'm going to nursing school. And at one point... She's writing letters, you know, back and forth with her parents and she sends them a letter and she's like, bad news. My fiance died. Uh, he suicided himself. And her parents are like, did she say it like that? She um, said no. she went he to unalived himself. He unalived yeah. himself. And um, her parents are like, what? We didn't even know you were dating anyone, let alone you were engaged and he killed himself. Like, that's kind of weird. Yeah. But- her. They were mean to her. They were, but her brother, Doug, came to visit her somewhat frequently, and he had never met anybody either, and they were like, well, this is weird, but, you know, she's kind of weird sometimes. She's still in school. She meets, after her alleged fiancé allegedly allegedly killed himself, himself, she ends up meeting, or hanging out with this I think he was one of her teachers I don't know if he was a doctor or not but he she meets him at the school he's like in his 40s she's in her 20s he's married they start kind of messing around and eventually he gets divorced and they get married almost like that same year so his name is Roy Makepeace so in the 60s she while she's still in school she meets Roy married they're fucking around. He gets divorced. They get married. She writes a letter to her parents again. And she's like, hey, guess what? I married this dude. He was married before. Now we're together. Hope you're cool with that. And she gets the letter back and she reads it to Roy. And apparently it's her mom being like, this is bullshit. I am so embarrassed that you, you know, basically were a homewrecker and he's just using you because you're young and cute and he's in his 40s. This is a bad deal. And she reads Roy this letter and he's like, oh, that's kind of fucked up. And um, it turns out uh, Cindy wrote that letter. Her mom didn't write it at all. And Cindy read this to him and he was like wow that's kind of weird but I guess you just kind of like drama a little bit so he found out that she wrote the letter somehow yeah she didn't it wasn't from her mom so Roy is like well this is kind of weird but I'm gonna toss it up to hysterical females you know being dramatic be crazy also i think at that point if you're starting to realize that the person that you like left your wife for Mm -hmm. might be a little crazy Mm -hmm. you go well i can't really backtrack now so let's hope it works out they're already married so they stay married they're married for 16 years cindy is 
a little weird, but you know, whatever. She starts to get kind of more and more hostile to him being like, I want you to leave me alone. So in 1982, they get divorced. Four months after they get divorced, Cindy starts getting weird, strange phone calls. It's like voice like, I'm going to kill you type of stuff, right? So Cindy is Classic. freaked out. She's getting these weird... It's her first time living alone. It's her first time getting these calls. It's her first time getting this type of call. I mean, first, first time, time I got that call, was probably, what, like 16? And you're just like, I'm a woman now. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel so feminine. Mm-hmm. She starts reporting these incidents to the police and the police are like yeah yeah not really right you and every other day yeah Yeah, believing her very much it's like hundreds and hundreds of incidences she's reporting hundreds of incidences okay i'm gonna play you a call i don't hear anything that's her so that's a woman that's a woman that's a woman that's Who's a, a lady woman. she a lady what did it sound like she said dead she meat. said dead meat cindy dead meat oh i just heard <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh like, oh, okay thank no thank you cindy dead meat <laughs> something wrong with the line mm-hmm. so Can you just text me <laughs> Not in 1982, Haley. Oh, sorry. I don't think you're in a good cell service no, area. area. Where are you, Wyoming? So are you on 4G? What's over happening? the next seven years, Cindy reports nearly 100 incidents of harassment. Five are violent physical attacks, and others were those weird whispering or silent phone calls. And so she involves the police, finally, and... At night, she's hearing prowlers. Her porch lights are getting knocked out. Her phone line keeps getting cut. There are dead cats left in her yard. Someone almost strangles her dog to death. And according to. Did she see that? No. Nobody has seen any of this. According to her friend Agnes Woodcock, all these last names (laughs) we got Make Peace, we got Woodcock. (laughs) Uh, she's getting also bizarre notes with letters cut from magazines appearing on her doorstep. Cindy thinks that someone is trying to scare her to death. She's reluctant to report everything because she thinks that they're going to go after her family and not just her. And over time, the police are like, this is really sketchy that we haven't seen anybody we can't you know find any evidence there's no broken window that type of thing one night january 1983 so about a year after this has started agnes woodcock her friend drops by cindy's house for a visit and knocks on the door there's no answer and she's like well she's probably just taking a bath which yeah same that's what i would assume also Um, just a drop by but as she's like walking as she's kind of walking around the or around outside i guess yeah agnes sorry agnes comes across cindy she's crouched down with a nylon stocking tied tightly around her neck cindy said that she had gone out to the garage to get a box and someone had grabbed her from behind all she saw was the assailant's white sneakers And due to the harassment and violence she had experienced there, she was like, fuck this, I'm moving. Okay? Mm -hmm. So they couldn't find anybody to pin this on. There's no real suspect other than the dude was wearing white shoes. 
Mm-hmm. Super specific, right? She moves. She paints her car a different color. She changes her last name. She hires a private investigator named Ozzy. The police are still investigating this stuff, especially now that there's been this kind of assault reported. And she hires Ozzy and the police question her several times. Ozzy reports that she would not tell him the entire story. He was like, Eh, you're leaving things out she was evasive she withheld information and did not act like a normal victim would according to Ozzy which everybody acts differently I don't know if normal victim behavior is necessarily something you can hang your hat on the police give her a polygraph test and the examiner claimed that she was also withholding information also like polygraphs are polygraphs are also Mm -hmm. not reliable her mom tilly thinks that the reason for her reluctance was that she thought the attacker had threatened their family and that by naming him they would be killed on the night of january 30th 1984 ozzy the private detective the private dick yeah the pd he had given her a two-way radio right so he's just basically listening in all the time and he hears sounds weird stuff coming over the two-way radio that was at cindy's house he goes over finds the house locked looks through a window and sees her lying on the floor with a paring knife through her hand she's taken to the hospital where she recalls being attacked and a needle going into her arm Police never found fingerprints from a suspect and there was no independent corroboration. There was, I mean, the house was locked from the outside. So how did this happen, right? From the inside? Possibly. The threatening phone calls continue, but all of them, so the police are also monitoring phone calls now, but they're all too short to be traced. There were never phone calls when the police had 24-hour surveillance on her house, which lasted Hmm. for days. 14 officers were hanging out, and every time they were around, nothing actually occurred. Police start to become more skeptical of the harassment, and Cindy's parents are like, yeah, but the attacker's just staying away because he He's, knows, knows y'all are around. Are so shit keeps on happening. On December 11th, 1985, she's found dazed and semi-conscious laying in a ditch six miles from her house. She's wearing a men's work boot and a glove, and she suffered from hypothermia. There were cuts and bruises all over her body. A black nylon stocking had been tied tightly around her neck. There was a needle mark on her arm, and she had no memory of what happened. Agnes, her friend, and Agnes's husband stay with Cindy for a few days to help protect her. And one night in April 1986, they wake up and hear, because they're hearing noises in the basement, and they go look, and the fucking basement is on fire. The phone lines have been cut. Tom runs out. This is her friend's husband. He's like, I'm going to tell the neighbors to call the cops. And when he does, he sees a man standing on the curb, like watching. And he's like, yo, can you go tell somebody else to call the cops also? And instead of doing that, the guy just runs away. Hmm. And they're like, 
that's suspicious that's weird that's That's weird weird. the police still are like i don't know i mean because where was there was no broken when there was like one place where somebody could have gotten into the basement Mm -hmm. but outside of that window there was no disturbed dirt or anything it really didn't look like anybody had come through this window to get into this basement to set the fire and Cindy was in the house and she's the one who was like, did y'all hear any noises? Did y'all just Mm. wake up from these noises also? And then of course the basement's on fire. So police are like, I kind of think you might've done this. I guess they just kind of leave it at that because she's like, this is clearly a pattern of behavior. I've been getting attacked for years now and this is still happening. The police are also suspect of her because even though she's apparently has this very active stalker Cindy freely walks her dog at night isn't showing all the signs of being super paranoid I guess later that year Cindy's doctor commits her to a local psychiatric ward because he thought she was becoming suicidal 10 weeks later she leaves the hospital her father Otto said She finally admitted to family and friends that she knew more than what she was saying. She told him she believed she knew the identity of the perpetrator and would go after the perpetrator herself. In October 1988, Roy, this is the Mm ex-husband, Roy receives a bizarre message on his answering machine. The raspy voice says, Cindy, dead meat soon. So we heard that one before. October 26th, She comes home and is attacked in her carport. She was later found unconscious in her car, nude from the waist down, a nylon stocking again tied around her neck and her arms, and her legs were hogtied with, oh, with another another nylon. Another nylon. Duct tape is over her mouth in an attempt to keep her from breathing. She went into a coma from this attack and survives. In spring 1989, She reports to her family and friends that the attacks she thinks are maybe decreasing and she's starting to feel a little better because supposedly the bout of depression was from being terrified all the time because she has this crazy stalker. On May 25th, 1989, six years and seven months after the first threatening phone call, Cindy disappears. On that same day, they find her car in a neighborhood shopping parking lot inside were groceries a wrapped gift and there's blood on the driver's side door items from her wallet are under the car and cindy is nowhere to be found she's missing for two weeks and then her body is found at an abandoned house about one mile from the shopping plaza. It looked like she had been brutally murdered. Her hands and her feet were bound together behind her back, a nylon stocking tied tightly around her neck. But the autopsy they did on her revealed that she actually died from an overdose of morphine and flurazepam. And the police are like, well, this is over and we're going to call this suicide. And they closed the case. She got suicided. She was suicided. Ozzy, the private detective, did not believe that Cindy would have been able to stage that scene. But clearly others, the police, thought that it was possible. In 
Vancouver, the coroner ruled her death as not suicide, not an accident, and not a murder. They concluded that she, quote, died of an unknown event. At least they're being honest. They they don't know. They don't know. Yeah. She definitely died. Otto and Tilly, her parents, never doubted that she was murdered. They were like, yes, she was murdered. Yes, she was stalked. I mean, if there's all this history of, like, needles. Yeah. So when they found her, she was... Did she have any, like, blunt force trauma? Like, anything? She was bound? She was hogtied. Mm-hmm. Something around her, like, choked around her neck. Mm-hmm. And she had a needle mark in her arm. You know, hogtied like you do when you're suiciding yourself. Right. I mean, you can hogtie yourself. Well, and the police are like... I'm not on those tumblers. are... <laughs> These are knots that you could recreate yourself. You like you could knot. do this to yourself. And that's. Do you want to, I'll show you real quick. Haley's like, watch me hogtie yeah. myself. The thing is, they didn't have the internet back then. So, how was she? She can't Google how to hogtie that's, yourself. That's true. Right? true. Mm-hmm. This uh, suicide, not suicide, is still unsolved. Her parents think there's someone out there who got away with murder, but there are theories on what happened the suspects right possible people roy roy number one cindy had told some of her friends that roy was abusive to her over their 16 year relationship he did admit that he had slapped her twice when they were together but that nothing it was nothing more than that like it wasn't serious beatings i don't believe that it's like when a cop pulls you over and you're like i've only had two beers and that means you've had 10 beers Mm -hmm. so if a man said i've only slapped her twice that means he's basically stabbed her yeah 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 Yeah. for sure or hogtied her yeah or made her hogtie herself cindy figure it out yeah in 1984 cindy uh underwent a hypnosis session and 64 yeah and 84 sorry not okay. 64 oh that's peak um not peak that's like satanic panic period mm-hmm. and also p- like regression therapy mm-hmm. this is two years after her and roy are divorced mm-hmm. and in her session she remembers quote remembers roy murdering two people on a boat mm. and mm, the police are like well this isn't re- like it's hypnosis like this isn't reliable also the police are able to confirm that Roy had really solid alibis on a lot of the nights of calls and boat attacks. Murders. Never and been stuff on a boat like before. That. Could yeah. not identify a boat yeah. in the lineup. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Missed that capture. Yeah. Suspect. I don't know which one's a boat. <laughs> Y'all. Sorry, this isn't funny. A woman's dead. <laughs> Maybe two other people on a boat. Right. Uh, <laughs> on a what? On a boat. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> on who? I don't know. Is that I like a sea no, We don't believe in those here. <laughs> it is. Similar to a jet ski, but jet not. A sea do. I know what a sea do yeah, yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. And not murder? a boat. A boat. Murder's a sea don't. <laughs> murder on the sea do. Suspect number two. Weird guy on the street. Yep. So the night that the fire happened, the neighbor asks him. He runs away. This person was never identified and nobody fucking knows who he was. So it's kind of weird because it's like if he was just a neighbor, you could probably he could probably be identified. So but 
you know, he could have just been a guy walking by. Also, when I hear that, when you said he was there and he just took off when he said to call the cops, he's got warrants. Yeah. That's immediately what I think. That or how do you know he didn't run down to to his own house that was like streets away or something to call the police? Who knows? I guess they probably did put out like a call for this person to come forward and nothing ever happened. Well, especially in that situation, nobody died in that thing. So if he did have some kind of criminal history, even less incentive to say anything. like, that's none of my business. Yeah. The third suspect is Officer Pat McBride. So Pat was one of the first people to respond to Cindy's initial calls about this harassment and he and Cindy become friends and he's kind of into her and he stayed with her a few times and like moved in to help keep her safe on these police surveillance nights and stuff. Mm -hmm. So the theory there is that, well, he also allegedly had proposed to her at one time Hmm. after meeting her and becoming friends and she turned him down, but they still stayed close friends with that people are like well he's a cop he knows exactly when the cops are gonna be there Mm -hmm. if the calls and he knows what they're gonna look for happening Mm -hmm. when he's there or when the cops are there it's because he knows the cops are there and he could also cover his own tracks if he was the and person. he would know the house pretty well so like how to get in if she has like a hidden key somewhere yeah. if mm-hmm. you, you yeah. jimmy this to get in so kind of also i feel like and this is probably profiling but i do feel like there's like an aspect of oh this woman maybe it started some other way and then he was like oh i can get away with a lot over here could yeah be. you know like Sorry. he comes to that one call and he's like i i could i could try this out oh people think this woman's crazy yeah it's true yeah and there are two here's another unknown possible theory suspect so after analyzing these calls that were recorded a lot of people are like this is a woman's voice yeah. like it does not sound like a man mm-hmm. is it cindy or is it possible that she was having a relationship with a woman because Ooh. she's been hiding all like half of the truth and everyone the whole time thinks there's more to it and she will not admit it to anybody, not even the private detective mm-hmm. that she's being stalked, but she can't say who it is. So they, there's a theory that Cindy was possibly in a relationship with a woman. She didn't want to tell anybody. She didn't want to come out. And this woman, after she broke it off, started stalking her mm-hmm. and was the person who was doing this to her. So that's possible other theories about cindy herself number one did she suffer from munchausen's is she attacking herself for attention Mm -hmm. no evidence ever really popped up there was nothing to corroborate the story so has she just been harming herself in order to get attention and since she's she was a nurse she probably would have access to like morphine Mm -hmm. and stuff Yeah. yeah probably knows how to i don't know if how to choke someone is correct but to like maybe cut off your airway for a certain amount Mm -hmm. of time that kind of deal so people think she might have been doing that and then on the last time she went overboard and accidentally overdosed so there's that and then the final theory is that she had dissociative identity disorder aka multiple personality disorder where 
the personality she was repressing would take over, make her black out. I mean, from what she's Cindy, the Cindy personality mm-hmm. remembers and would try to damage itself. Well, mm-hmm. and it would, she would feel like it was somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Especially, I don't. And that would explain why there was no evidence yeah. also. So those are all the theories. None of them are the ex-wife. The ex-wife. The ex-wife oh, of her. No, none of them are the ex-wife of the her husband. Okay. No. I mean, that's a new one. Theory number seven or yeah. whatever that was. Because that was a, a big old thought of mine. Yeah. But I would also like to hear a recording of her voice. Cindy's, Cindy's voice. voice. So yeah, it's Wh- unsolved and Where probably did it will never be solved in Canada. Mm. Well, I mean, I don't know which theory I'm leaning towards. I could see her doing it to herself. Like, I could see it being a combo loco. Right. H E B definitely like, has something. She to has do. problems, <laughs> and someone took advantage of, of those hers. problems. Yeah, that's one of the big things I'm thinking. I'm also thinking that it happened so, so many times. Uh-huh. I, do we know anything about that officer after the fact? Did he have any other like disciplinary issues? Mm-mm. Because usually if he, you, though, you know, this is a pattern and things escalate, right? Nobody really, if they have that kind of psychology, they don't just kill somebody and then they're done. Yeah, but how many cops have gotten you know they, in mean? their own right? Yeah, yeah. Do those kinds of things on the job and they get away with or it? Or like anybody in some kind of authority power. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I don't want to say, right. all, you know, just the cops because it's anybody. Yeah. But the unique position of being a yeah. police officer in that yeah. specific situation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like, mm-hmm. if you know a police officer mm-hmm. or like a detective that can help you. Or I just, I don't think it's the man they saw. I just don't think I that. Don't, that no. I don't think it was that guy. I don't think it was her ex-husband. I guess the ones I believe most are that Pat maybe had something to do with it, or that she had been in a relationship with a woman mm-hmm. and was just ashamed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or she was doing it to herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's a lot of the theories. It'd be like doing it to yourself would be hard because if you are talking about like she could she could n- knowingly inject herself with an overdose of something and know how much time that would take for it to actually take effect. Mm-hmm. And so then she would have to also know how to hogtie herself, which I, she would have to do like at the time before probably or, like, research right after, on yeah. where you would either have books of that or she, I don't know, public library, get on microfiche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what they would have done in the eighties in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. It'd be a lot of steps, but again, if she does have some type of like mental break, she could have an altar that would like hyperfixate on that kind of, like mm-hmm. there's, there's, there, it would be a lot of compounding factors mm-hmm. for that to be true. But obviously that's why it's a mystery, right? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Okay. I'll go. Cause you requested to go last cause yours mm-hmm. is boring. It's boring, but it's, I bet people are still excited to hear about About it. it. I know I am. That's how boring things usually work. (laughs) You get happy and excited about it. I love boring shit. Mm -hmm. Belle Gibson was a 20-year-old living in Perth, Australia in the fall of 2009 when she began to suffer blurred vision headaches. Who? Belle Gibson. Not Mel Gibson. (laughs) Belle Gibson. Belle Gibson. me all the way for a second i was like i just uh, talk shit about mel gibson for 20 minutes (laughs) but don't address that he's famous in any way just like personal yeah i know where he's problematic what are we doing (laughs) yep bell started suffering from blurred vision headaches and slurred speech even at one point she thought she had um, suffered a small stroke when she was at work bell had had health problems previous when she was a teenager she had to go undergo several heart surgeries for a congenitive heart disease whatever Mm -hmm. 
Um, and she actually had died on the operating table for about three minutes. Mm-hmm. So she was really scared. I have a friend that exact thing. Yeah. Um, she also at this time mm-hmm. didn't have any familial support because she ran away from home at 12 because she had a pretty bad home life and she had been couch surfing with friends for a time and dropped out of school when she was 15 um, and she'd been on her own ever since then since she didn't have anybody to go to she naturally went to the internet to figure out what was going on when was this 2009 okay so she joins a few wellness and medical and alternative medicine facebook groups And she explains her symptoms and mentions that all of her health problems, these new ones at least, had started just a few weeks after getting the Gardasil vaccine. Mm. Um, And from there, from these Facebook groups, she's introduced to a specialist named uh, Dr. Mark Johns, who is a neurologist and immunologist from Melbourne's Peter McCallum Cancer Center. So she gets referred to him. She goes to him. He runs some tests and he diagnoses Belle with terminal brain cancer and gives her four months to live. Um, (laughs) God, yikes. The implication from that being that maybe the Gardasil vaccine gave her brain cancer somehow. Belle initially went the route of chemotherapy to try and rid her body of cancer. She did that for a couple of years, but didn't really get the results that she was wanting. Granted, (laughs) she lived for longer than four months. And at at about that same time where she felt like she was just done with chemotherapy, she found out she was pregnant. She stopped chemotherapy and began to focus on total body wellness and holistic healing. She started a journey of self education that resulted in her um, getting what she would say is back to the basics of health with a plan to heal her cancer through nutrition and lifestyle changes. Much of this process she documented on her Instagram. Mm -hmm. Over the next several years, she amassed about 200,000 followers on Instagram, which for 2000, this was like 2012 at this time. That that was a lot of followers. That was, I think Instagram was launched in 2011. Mm -hmm. So like within the first year of Instagram, she had 200,000 followers. Also like, gee, you you said years. So like that's (laughs) still a lot more than four months. We're we're still going. Her audience saw her as a beautiful, young and you know, healthy mom, considering she had cancer because she was actively healing herself from her cancer with these lifestyle changes, gets a huge following, starts getting lots of interviews. She's in Cosmopolitan. She's in the Australian like Women's Weekly. She's on. um, She lives weekly. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly what it's called. And then boy meets daily. (laughs) She's on Australians, you know, good morning and morning shows, getting a lot of traction in 2013, she launches the Whole Pantry app, which advocates for healthy eating and lifestyle. It's voted Apple's best food and drink app of 2013. And Apple was so impressed with her story and her health philosophy that Bell's actually invited to Apple HQ, which I believe is in San Francisco, maybe? Mm-hmm. Whatever. It should be in the Big Apple. It's not, though. That's wrong. It's in California. It's a very California company. I just want to say, we've kind of touched on a lot of things that are going to lead into my boring oh, story. Oh, how exciting. In a boring way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so she comes out to meet... <laughs> exciting, but in a boring way. way. So Belle comes out to Apple HQ to meet with executives out there. So what they did was... The year 2014 was the year that the Apple Watch was launched, Mm -hmm. and they had worked with Bell to make the whole Pantry app be Mm pre-downloaded, which is like huge, yeah, huge deal. So when Tim Bon Jovi did, yeah, so when Tim Cook is doing like you two did, yeah, when Tim Cook is doing the presentation on the Apple Watch, so pre-launch, but (laughs) pre-launch, but this is when they're like announcing it he shows the Apple watch on the screen and it's all of the Apple native apps, Nike, and then whole pantry. 
which is insane. Yeah. At the same time, Gibson had also signed with Penguin Publishing and was producing a cookbook of the same name, The Whole Pantry. By early 2015, it was estimated that an excess of $1 million had been made in sales of The Whole Pantry app because there's in-app purchases with The Whole Pantry, obviously, and books. And Gibson continued to document her life as an entrepreneur and as a mother and as a person with an ongoing cancer battle on her blog and on Instagram. On her way back from that last meeting with the executives at Apple, she started feeling really sick and she had a new specialist. So she went and sought treatment from him. It's this guy named Phil. And he actually, (laughs) you know, Dr. Phil, Phil, but not that Dr. Phil. Mm -hmm. We don't want to get sued. We can talk about other shit about Dr. Phil if we want to get sued. So he actually diagnosed her with spleen, liver, kidney, uterus, and blood cancer. So her cancer had spread. Um, Even though for the last two years she had been reported to be stable with her cancer diagnosis she did sus af mm-hmm. right now so she took she took to her blog and explained to everyone what was going on basically said this is a really big setback and i'm sorry that i'm bringing this to you but this is you know cancer is a journey and this is where i'm at in february 2015 bell attends the funeral of another wellness influencer named jessica einkoff Jessica also had cancer and the two were friendly online, but they weren't like really good friends. So she flew from Australia Hmm. to the States to go to this woman's funeral that she didn't really know. And to quote one of the attendees, they said it was like she bell was making a point of being seen and heard like she was trying to prove that she was more devastated than anybody else who Mm -hmm. was there. They definitely weren't close friends and they had one meeting together and apparently, so this other one was called the wellness warrior as she was known. She, Jessica told one of her other cohorts that something seemed off about bell. Hmm. Um, also that Jessica lady also a piece of shit. <laughs> like, like she, right. Yeah. The types of stuff that they're pushing like Gershon method, Sorry. which is like, don't do traditional medicine, take, you know, meditate and mm-hmm. take supplements and stuff like that. Put some witch hazel in your pussy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Goop. Don't do that. That's an astringent. Mm. Pre-goop. <laughs> yeah, this is pre-goop. This is getting up to that. Okay. So then in March 2015, so this was less than a month after her making a scene at this other wellness uh, influencer's funeral, an expose by the Australian paper The Age runs an article that shows that Bell had unpaid charity proceeds. So Bell failed to hand over money raised through two charity drives in 2013 and 2014. And then four of the five char- charities promoted as beneficiaries had no knowledge of the fundraising campaign. Mm. Never heard of her, even though they were these really big campaigns that they, they did both in-app, online, and in-person mm-hmm. charities for. The Whole Pantry posted a detailed statement to its vast online following on Sunday night in which they basically, basically Bell said that, you know, they were a company, they were growing really quickly and this was just like an accounting error because it got away from them and then she showed that she had donated to some of these charities granted one of the charities so four of the five said she had never heard of her right mm-hmm. one of them the the um, the one the one they called them up the investigative journal called them up and was like yes actually we have gotten a donation from bell whatever whatever she had called them the night before and donated a thousand dollars to them because mm. apparently she had gotten wind that this she had mm-hmm. this was happening the journalists who had done the initial research into bell's charity scandal had also began to doubt some parts of her cancer story 
wondering if she had even ever had it at all. So one of the investigative journalists, their partner, their, their wife had had cancer and he was following the story and it was the same cancer that she had had and things weren't adding up and like talking to her, like timelines weren't right. The doctors and the medicines, even in a holistic kind of way that he was mentioning was kind of like, this isn't the claims you're making are really extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And like, the way you look and act and how you are is not mm-hmm. how somebody who's right. even managing I mean, cancer yeah. would act. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't go into this article and say, oh, this huge health influencer is faking right. cancer. So they went by route of the charity because they could show that she donated that. Right. And then they could include enough information to kind of sow seeds of doubt for mm-hmm. cancer. So this comes out. It's a big deal in the wellness community. Um, this is 2015. So the same platform that had built Bell Up where she had developed a community for those interested in holistic health and wellness and alternative medicine and pseudoscience began to publicly question her own health claims. Followers posted on both the whole whole pantry app and her personal blog and her Instagram asking questions about the charity donations, about her purported timeline, why she didn't have any surgery scars if she had had all these open heart surgeries, why she never lost her hair, why she never looked sick, why she never posted about the types of treatments, like her getting treatments that she's talking about. Um, and at first, Belle is trying to like respond to them and make excuses, but at a certain point, she just can't and she just starts deleting comments anything that's like damning. Mm-hmm. So everyone gets real pissed off at her and it's all starting to go down. So a week later, so March 15th, 2015, Apple removes the wellness pantry app from their store entirely and discontinues their relationship with Bell. And then in late April, 2015, Bell gave an interview to the Australian Women's Weekly who two years prior had given her like out- the Outstanding Female Award mm-hmm. in Australia. She loved the year. Yep. She, she so should they interview her this is april so this is a month after that article came out and she admits she lied about everything mm. so but gibson attributed her deceit to her upbringing and mm-hmm. specifically to neglect by her now estranged mother claiming to having been forced to take care of herself and her autistic brother since the age of five hence why she ran away at 12 because she didn't want to deal with it anymore and though she admitted she lied she never expressed regret or apologized for anything And in May 2015, with the same magazine, Gibson's mom, uh, they got an interview with her, claims that nothing Gibson said about her family was correct. Her brother was not autistic. (laughs) Like... And um, she had claimed some other stuff that her mom disputed. She did confirm that Belle had heart problems as a young child, but nothing that required surgery and definitely nothing that would have her die on the operating table for three minutes. Why didn't the mom say any? I mean, I guess it's your kid. So it's also like, I don't know how to go up against somebody. So when it came to the, the health claim kind of stuff, part of the thing that got that going was were people from her earlier life that were like, oh, Belle's lying again because this is a there were other stories of her like claiming right different shit mm-hmm. right and okay. so it's just one of those things it's like you can't really i don't know if you knew somebody from high school not really well and you sure saw that they became a info like what can you really do with that right besides you know call a journalist if you're really inclined to do right. so right i'd be like i'm pretty sure this is bullshit but whatever yeah i would just talk shit all yeah the time. yeah Same. and if you're already estranged from your mom like if i started pulling some hinky shit publicly mom would call me but i don't think she'd call a journalist either it'd take a lot right to get to that point right so bell continues to purport that at the time she believed she had cancer and that um, dr john the guy who initially diagnosed her with cancer was the 
person who lied to her and she believed it because apparently so she gets she's basically in a bunch of anti-science anti-medicine anti-vax obviously because of the Gardasil mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. Facebook groups that referred her to this person who is a doctor but not all doctors are great right and to to diagnose her with cancer he hooked her up to quote a machine like an old-fashioned hard drive with lights and metal sheets that you sat on for both diagnosis and treatment. This beep, reminds boop, beep, yeah, boop. exactly. This reminds me of like Scientology's like auditing tool that they like plug you into. Right. It made me think of he like has, a porn, like yeah. a, an eighties porn where it's like, well, this. Oh is no, future. you got vagin vagin look booty. At, yeah, gotta, look yeah. at the future. There's only lady. one treatment for this. My wiener. <laughs> mm-hmm. And these lights. <laughs> Beep bop boop bop. So she, and the thing is like, she at that time was like 20, we think. I'll get back to that. So she <laughs> oh can, so she can, I don't know. She could have been swindled. Right. And then this other guy, Phil, also an alternative, like a specialist is a strong yeah, term. None he of these doctors healer. have last names. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, J- John's is nope. the last name. Okay. I refuse. It's just John and Phil swindling <laughs> this woman. So there's no doubt of her being a victim she had an actual brain scan in 2013 because she was afraid she had MS. And the brain scan not only showed that she did not have MS, but it also didn't show any cancer. Right. Because it would have shown up. So she would have, so even she if she knew. would have been swindled initially, after getting that brain scan, she would have known. So as her popularity was rising in 2014, and this is when she was writing her cookbook and they realized like she was going to be a big deal, Penguin Books conducted some interview training with her that they recorded. And they were asking her like the hard questions because you have to get used to responding these types of things but not the like they're not hard in the way that she would have to lie they were just like it's hard to talk about your own health even if it's your you know whole deal right so they ask her about the alternative cancer treatment that she's getting and bell stumbles to describe her type of cancer the treatment and even who was treating her this is when penguin became a little suspicious of bell's story but they're already in the process like the books are printed go back now so their justification was for the purpose of a cookbook it doesn't matter if her story is true Mm. so they just went with it um so she's found out immediate like it, it's over it's done like nobody's tried to defend her at this point it's obviously she lied whatever so consumer affairs victoria brought legal action against gibson for breaking australian consumer law and then in march of 2017 it was found in federal court that quote miss gibson had no reasonable basis to believe she had cancer from the time she began making these claims to the public to promote the help whole pantry book and the apps but there was not enough evidence to prove that she was not acting out of delusion so exactly what she's saying they can't prove that she she could have believed her own bullshit right yeah the term that got brought up a couple of times was um munchausen by internet where yeah (laughs) which she it's a it's a feedback loop sure yeah Yeah. Yeah. i mean we more and more people suffering from that every goddamn day i mean exactly with covid and everything for sure yeah so in September of 2017, Gibson was fined 410 Australian dollar dues, which is like... That's it? It's 410,000. Oh, you said 410 dollar dues. 410,000, which is like more than half a million. Got USD, it. Got it. For making false claims about her donations to charity. So not even the health claims because they couldn't prove that. As of April 2019, Gibson hadn't paid and authorities were seeking power to charge her with contempt of court. They went through a couple new trials. 
2017, a letter was released by the federal court where Gibson had stated she was $170,000 in personal debt and had $5,000 to her name. And then in January 2022, the sheriff's office in Victoria raided Gibson's home to seize assets to try to recoup her unpaid fines, mm-hmm. which due to interest costs and compounding debt is exceeds half a million dollars at this point. Um, and then it got raided again in 20, May 2021. Also, Penguin Australia had already agreed at that time to pay $30,000 to the Victorian Consumer Law Fund as penalty for releasing the whole pantry because they didn't do any che- fact checking like they should have. And they're also been made to label different types of books subject matter. So if there's any non-substantiated medical claims, they have to put like a sticker on it that says this might be bullshit, which, you know, that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. They don't do that here. I mean, we've got it on fa- false information <laughs> on shit Facebook, now. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was part of their penalty too. That's her health journey story. So kind of more recently, the day after that first raid in 2020, a video surfaced from October 2019, which showed Gibson wearing a headscarf and <laughs> speaking partially in or Oromo language. Oromo is a tribe in Ethiopia. She was speaking about the political situation in Ethiopia with an interview referring to Ethiopia that she's in Australia because right. there's a large African contingency in Australia. So she's referring to Ethiopia as back home. Oh, no. Uh. Um, she professed to have been adopted by the Ethiopian community in Melbourne after volunteering for four years, calling the adoption a gift from Allah. However, the same day, the president of the Australian Oromo Community Association in Victoria stated that Gibson had not was not a registered volunteer and is not a community member, and is, she is also not have been shown to be working with the community. Um, she's also not from Ethiopia. No, <laughs> she's very white, very very white. Oh, all of this is yeah, some white people shit. Mm-hmm. White woman behavior. Um, they had only seen her at two events, two or three events, maybe. Nobody knew who she was, and they had just learned about her from this video and all of this stuff blowing up. So the last reports of Belle Gibson as of 2021, she's been raided like again at least one more time, um, and she it has potentially converted to Islam and is potentially working as a teacher somewhere. Wild. Yeah. I tried to look her up on it. I, the well, the whole pantry yeah. account exists, but there's no posts on it. It's weird they haven't taken it down. There's 11,000 followers. I was wondering if that was going to turn into like, and now it's the whole 30. Oh, no, not quite. Yeah, she's, if you watch her, she did a 60 Minutes interview in like 2017. And every response she has, she's just obfuscating. She's just not. So the the question about like her age. Mm -hmm. So she is potentially younger than what she says she is. And she can't just answer a simple question. Like the interviewer will say, Oh, so you're 23 and she, and no, no, no. How old are you? And she'll say, well, I've been raised to believe that right now I'm 26. And she's like, but how old are you? And she's like, well, I, I have two birth certificates and I've changed my name four times. And I believe that I'm 26. And she's like, how old are you? Because we, everything else that we have says that you're 23 years old. 
answer the question and she's like well I'm trying to but I guess we just need to dig deeper because I believe and she just keeps <laughs> doing it. and it's with every single thing so the same thing about being asked about cancer she's like at the time right I be- but you didn't have cancer no so you lied at the time and it's just it's so frustrating to watch awful. her but the the interview lady her name's Tara because she was going Tara like addressing her and she, she's like cut your shit it's really good but it's it's like a 30 minute interview if you have a chance to check it out it's oh I want to watch yeah. that very bad I do too yeah there's a uh, a new thing on Netflix that's bad vegan oh yeah I put it on yeah. but I didn't pay attention but I'm going to rewatch mm, it go back okay it's bonkers and there is some aspects of like dodging questions mm-hmm. that's interesting i want to re i want to watch it again because i'm like i feel like i missed some shit yeah. in here i think the swindled podcast just did a episode about a vegan person i wonder if it's the same probably. thing yeah probably They're really good he also did one about um bill gibson a couple years ago he's also from she, austin she changed hey. her name multiple times and landed on bell, bell gibson. gibson yeah so it's <laughs> It's interesting because she says that her mom changed her name and then her mom's like, I didn't do that. But then it's like, it's everything she says is just like bullshit. (laughs) The old cancer fish move. Tell us your boring story. Are y'all excited? Yes. (laughs) Super. Cool. So y'all know uh, like Gangs of New York and like the Gilded Age and all of these giant fucking homes. Mm -hmm. I do. I low-key a few times was like, these can't be like in New York. And they were. And so I have a cute little let's talk about these homes and mansions. I like like it. (laughs) It's very light in comparison to what we've i feel like we've slowly just been going like from murder and right. like oh this cr- uh, well weird. also questionable narrators i yeah. guess yeah mm-hmm. and now <laughs> homes <laughs> yay in the big apple so around 1880 uh new yorkers were building some of the most elaborate mansions in the country and they were like it was like 5th avenue and riverside drive they were all freestanding homes modeled after European palaces. So the idea of any kind of freestanding home in New York City is just mind blowing mm-hmm. to me. I've never been to New York. When have you been to New York? No. Oh, let's go. We're just we're country we're girls. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been to Europe. I've been there. Mm. I feel like we all know my relationship with the Eiffel Tower. That's we, true. We do. <laughs> Lots of Eiffel Towers Lots that Eiffel we can towers. cover here, covering some ground. So some of these had like over a hundred rooms. Some of them spanned blocks, which I would say maybe like an Eiffel Tower by an Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Wow. And then most of them were completely destroyed within a few decades, which that's the part that I'm like, oh, what? Purposely destroyed, yes. not like yes, natural yes, yes. disasters. No. Oh, wow. No. So it was like l- literally 30 to 40 years that these even existed, which I that was kind of where I was like, oh, I'm actually going to talk about this. Yeah. 1880s to 1890s, uh, the very desirable area was Vanderbilt Row, which Fifth Avenue between 50th and 58th. And then it spanned to the corner of uh, Central Park. I think it was the southeast corner of Central Park. An example, William K. Vanderbilt lived in a white, and I'll talk a little bit more about this house later, but a white limestone chateau 
that took up almost a full block of Fifth Avenue and 52nd Street, which right now is like. Right. Yeah. It's like if you want to go spend a million dollars in a store. That's where you go. That's where you go. And it had, it was all about, like every single one of these was about one-upping. It's all kind of new money Mm -hmm. in a time in America where like very industrial, we've got a lot of new money coming in. So everyone's like, my dick is bigger than yours. My dick is two blocks. You old money assholes. Look at this. Because old money would be royalty, right? At that point, this is so industrialization is what made new yes. money happen. Yeah. Yes. So if you didn't have money from your like pedigree, generational wealth. Yes. Yeah. Because there were there was like royalty or like, you know, relative like barons People and shit rich, yeah. that were coming mm-hmm. over to. But yeah, the this was like, uh, how much is the railroad doing versus, you know, lumber mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. Things are started changing in the 1920s. The financial like uh, income or federal income taxes came down. And so all of these giant, giant, giant spaces were like, ooh, this is now untenable. Mm-hmm. But so that was one issue. And then it became harder to find all of these servants that they needed because in the 20s, we've got the job market starting to open up more and more and more as they're like, you know, going in and building all of these like consumer and commercial places. And then it, and then it didn't, and then it went, and then it got bad. <laughs> I don't know. Are we whispering about the depression? I, I think we all know about it. I think we can all we name talk three really things that caused the depression. It was a dust bowl. We don't talk about it. It's America's greatest. Secret. Yeah, nobody knows what no happened one, that no year. No one knows. Between the two wars, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So during the building boom of the twenties, many of these were they ended up being used for commercial space and then also for apartment buildings, and they were built as like modern and convenient, right? Because you can the apartments back then they would like clean for you and like mm-hmm. here, here is your everything to your door. You don't have to leave. Stay in here forever. It went from if you have the money, get yourself a single family home to if you have the money, get in an apartment and they will like take care of everything for you. A few mansions remain intact. There's the Frick Collection and Cooper Herbert Design Museum on the Upper East Side. And a ton of these mansions in Midtown, uh, houses south of 59th, were wiped out for commercial use. And almost all of the 30 to 40 mansions that lined Riverside Drive are apartment buildings. And then the same with the mansions in St. Mark's and Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Those are also now mostly apartment buildings. So let's talk about some of these individually. There's the Morton F. Plant House that was on 649 Fifth Avenue. It was built in 1905. The rooms, there were about 50 rooms in this, which is just insane. The concept of having 50 rooms. Yes. Um, What do you even, what do you do? You got a living room, you got a bathroom, you got a bedroom. You got a lot of bedrooms. Kitchen room. Yeah, kitchen room. You could sleep in a new room almost every week. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. It's take two weeks vacation at mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the cost to build it was seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in nineteen oh five, which is twenty four point one million dollars now. Jesus Christ. Fifth Avenue and fifty second Street Midtown. It's a six story Renaissance style home. Right now there are offices in it and see your yawning. It's a we work home. Huh? You're, you're yawning. It could be. Yeah. Uh it's also the Cartier flagship store. Ooh. Uh the house was built on uh, for Martin F. Plant, who was the son of railroad and shipping tycoon Henry Plant. The land was three hundred fifty thousand, and then the build was four hundred thousand. So fifty rooms, twelve of them were staff rooms. Okay, they got their own rooms. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure there were bunk beds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, that would have been us if we were alive. A hundred percent. If we're lucky. Yeah. And then there was like a music room Mm. and a smoking room for the men. Cartier purchased it in 1917 and converted it to a jewelry store. Much of the building was actually preserved. And then the story behind the sale is that the plants traded it for $100 and a million dollar string of pearls. Wow. Pearls being a million dollars? Yeah, it's Cartier. They can... But pearls? I mean, that's like a lot. Like, pearls are nice, but it's not like... I don't know, man. It was the... Come out of of a clam. It was like last century, dude. Who knows? I wonder if that's held value. Maybe. Let's... (laughs) We're not there. We're we're talking about houses. I know, but now I want to know. I would guess the house is worth more than the pearls Yeah, the property alone. Yes. That's fair. Then there is Petit Chateau, which is William Vanderbilt, and that was uh, built in 1882. It had 40 rooms. Oh, Petit, yeah. Well, definitely compared to 50. Yes. Tiny. Yeah. Unlivable. Like, grow up. Yeah. <laughs> grow up. How, ma- how many staff rooms do you have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, where's your music room, bitch? It was three million dollars, which is eighty-three point five million dollars today. It sold for three point seven five million in the nineteen twenties, and it was demolished in nineteen twenty-six. So it was around for forty-four years. That's the house it. we are in right now has been around for yep. eight, eighty. Probably it was built in the fifties, yeah. So, so like 70. seventy, Jesus, yeah. This house is only worth what eighty two million. <laughs> Around, <laughs> Around the sure. awesome. yeah, Never tell your landlord how much yeah. he could get for this house right now. It was at six sixty fifth Avenue. It was, uh, now it's a thirty nine story office with Zara and Hollister headquarters in there, and then it was modeled after the sixteenth century French castle or a. 16th century French yeah, castle. Yeah, probably a lot of those. Yeah. 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 The, the only French castle in f- the 1500s. Yeah. It was three stories at the time. Uh, or no, they had a three-story uh, turret carved with the fleur-de-lis at the entrance. And then they had a two-story stone banquet hall that was 50 feet long. This is just so crazy yep. to think about. In like in Manhattan, Indiana limestone was the exterior, uh, which really that was like the f- everything else had been brownstones, mm-hmm. and so this was the first like whoa. So this is a big like peacocking move. Mm-hmm. Then there is the Cornelius Vanderbilt the second mansion, 
which is uh, 1 West 57th Street. It was built in 1883. It had 91 rooms. Jeez Louise. 91. Uh, the land and construction was 3.375 million, which is 94.8 million today. It sold for 7.1 million, so it doubled in value. And then it was demolished in 1927. So all of these were built in like down. the 1880s and were gone prior to the depression. They the were most part. built between the 1880s and the early 1900s and then were demolished 20 years after the last few were built. That's insane. It's so upset. I will say that um, it's definitely better because those were probably been built into a lot of apartment complexes too. So it's multifamily homes. Some of them. Yeah. Some of them were just built to sell things in. Yeah. Right. Um, commercial. More money. Let's see. This was, oh, it was called the Buckingham Palace of Fifth Avenue. It started as a five-story, 50-room French chateau of red brick and limestone and the newspapers were like this is the largest family home in new york and then the vanderbilts these vanderbilts were like are we we're gonna make it even bigger Mm -hmm. and then the newspapers are really gonna say things so then they uh, expanded they tore down five townhouses to take up the entire block of fifth avenue between 57th and 58th streets and then they had the 91 rooms They really wanted that. We couldn't just be 90 rooms. They're like, we're doing 91. Oh, yeah. 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 We can't keep it an even number. Get out of here. They needed to manage the home. They required 30 servants. That seems. Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. Considering how many rooms. It's three room per servant. Yeah. Yeah. Because you probably have a, you have a couple of cooks. You got a lot of maids. Mm-hmm. You probably most of that is probably cleaning staff, right? I would Cause assume. Because so many of those rooms are going to be unused. So, I don't know. I'm thinking of the logistics of tending to these spaces because it seems like a little overwhelming. Because you start cleaning, you got 20 people, start cleaning. By the time you get done cleaning, you come back and start cleaning again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot of dusting. They so had much vacuums dusting. back then, probably. <gasps> they did. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Seems like a lot. Mm. The mm. service costs on those. Well, and like what you the have. the cam charges are going to be. You have, at, <laughs> you have at least like two or three people and their whole job is finding the owners to tell yeah, them things. Right. Well, they probably have like, like. The bell systems. That, yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, its own fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Heating and cooling those types of spaces. Man, as a building manager, this is really. I know. I can tell my mind. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Is, and I don't, See, now we're I don't do residential. Excited. Here we go. <laughs> So, yeah, it was also, like, noted that it was larger than the family home that they had in Newport, which was called the Breakers. I love a, I love a good named home. Yeah, me too. It's very, that feels very European to me. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was sold in 1927 and uh, Bergdorf. 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 <laughs> is now there then we have mrs astor's house which is at 845th avenue it was completed around uh 1896 so this would have been like you know maybe 30 years or mm-hmm. whatever before the number of rooms roughly 60 it sold for 3.5 million dollars in 1925 and was demolished in 1926 Jeez. so 30 years old crazy which is like a little baby home now the home of society uh doyen <laughs> i don't know what that means 
How do you spell it? D-O-Y-E-N-N. It's a title or it's a name? Society Doyen, a woman who is the most respected or prominent person in a particular field. So she was the highest bitch in this society. Okay. Do you know about her husband? (laughs) Mr. Astor died on the Titanic. Mm. Mm. Why wasn't she on the Titanic? I don't know. She was Doyening. Yeah. She she was Doyen. Yeah. Doyen around. Ain't buoyant. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so she and her son uh, John J. Astor the fourth lived in this home. It was it's been called a masterpiece of Beau Arts architecture. It was gray limestone chateau, and it it was kind of it was set up as like a double house, and one side was for Mrs. Astor, and one side was for her son. She's like, I don't want to know what you're doing. You go do you. They still live together, though. That's mm-hmm. a mama's boy right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like when you have, it's like a mother-in-law home, but it's like nice. It's the actual home. Yeah, See? it's not just a suite. Mm. The home's entertainment spaces were designed to be joined into a single two-story ballroom. So that's kind of where it got together. Like the two houses were connected. Uh, the t- it was topped with a stained glass dome and hung with some 100 paintings. The ballroom could ac- that was just the ballroom. Mm-hmm. It could accommodate 1,200 people. Jesus Christ! Mm-hmm. How how many can ACL live? 2750. Yeah. Okay, so half of an ACL live. Yeah. And so th- they tore all that down with stained glass. Ugh, it's so upsetting to me. Yeah, I would have. Well, it's also, Love yes, they see. tore it down, but also, like, it's just proof of the ultra-rich, so I don't want it to be there either. Right, yeah. I want it to be torn but down like, so it's an abomination. are built. Yeah, I but want like, the people to be dragged out of the building. A hundred percent. I want the fall of capitalism to have already But happened. I like art. <laughs> yeah. Keep well, the I don't art. think that, sorry, I don't think that they would have left the art in the building. They probably would have taken that out. Stained glass on its own is but art. But you know, like the seal, all that crown molding, yeah. like there's You know the workers pulled that shit art. off and took it home. There's yeah. some like. And good for them. Yeah. Let's see. The family sold the mansion uh, in 1925 for $3.5 million. It was demolished and then. It made way for the synagogue temple, Emmanuel. I I know I messed that up. I apologize to all of our Jewish listeners. Um, Rebbe, we're sorry. Yes. Rebbe, will you tell me how to say that? <laughs> One of the largest houses of Jewish worship in the world. So I guess they didn't break it off into like housing and stuff. It just, they kept it, that space. I guess, Well, maybe they rebuilt. Yeah, they rebuilt on top of it. That's another thing is like why some of the buildings were repurposed. So the one that like Cartier went into, Mm -hmm. they didn't tear it down. They just made it into offices in the Cartier. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like, why aren't we just repurposing? I don't know. Maybe they didn't have the understanding of how to do that. Yeah. Because if it's built like rooms and homes, I think rooms and homes turning into office space probably isn't that. We see it in downtown Austin all the time. So, I don't know. I can't talk to those people. They're all dead. I just thought this was like your job. I'm sorry. I can't. I mean, if you give me a little heads up, I probably could have. Uh, well, I did. I told you I was talking about something very boring. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, must obviously have something to do with uh, my job. Haley, you're going to get this. 
So, uh, then there's Isaac Fletcher House, uh, 975 Fifth Avenue. It was completed in 1899. Uh, number of rooms. That's when the Newsies was happening. Can y'all give me a guess on number of rooms? It's the highest one yet. Uh, 147. Okay. 101. Closest without going over, Whitney. 116. Ooh. 116. You won that many rooms Thank in your you. house. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get it. to building them right now. Yep. They're going to be rooms for mice. Um, it was roughly 16,000 square feet. That doesn't seem that big. 16,000 square feet? Mm-hmm. So the office building that I'm in right now is a four-story building. It's 160,000 square feet. And it has 88 conference rooms and 36 offices and then cube space. 16,000 square feet doesn't seem that big. Um, (laughs) I mean, you're probably, you also, yeah. But also rooms were like smaller in general back then because people were smaller. This is what, Mm. 1,200 square feet probably, Whitney? Yeah. Uh, I know mine is. Yeah. So 10 times as big as this. It's big. I'm not saying it's not big and it's multi-story. What was the house called? Isaac, oop, Isaac Fletcher House. I maybe it's just hard for me to grasp because it, you're giving it in square foot and not in square Eiffel towers, so it's. Mm. Mm. So yeah, this was on Fifth Avenue between 78th and 79th. Uh, it's one of the few blocks in the city that appear largely the same as it did in the early 1900s. On the corner, uh, there's a French Gothic style limestone mansion built for industrialist Isaac Fletcher in 1899. In the 1950s, the property was purchased by the Ukrainian Institute of America. Mr. Fletcher spent about 400000 to purchase the land and build the house, uh, according to the Ukrainian Institute's Jasper Santa Anna. The Institute paid about half that amount to buy it in 1955. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It was designed by cph gilbert i guess that is somebody to know uh it was a six-story house and it remains mostly intact uh the exterior is carved with gargoyles seahorses and griffins i love that fun Mm -hmm. i like (laughs) that they sprinkled in some seahorses the steeply pitched slate roof has adorned turrets the interiors retain their elaborately carved woodwork marble mantles and small round call buttons used for summoning the maid and butler so they've they've got a call button system yeah Mm -hmm. the an elevator and silver safe are also original to the house i wouldn't keep an original elevator no thank you that terrifies Mm me there's no way okay it gets inspected it's probably been updated Haley wants that old ass i do sounds cool as hell it's haunted it's haunted. The whole, all of those are haunted. Yes. Haunted by the worst people. The house is separated from the street by a moat-like courtyard with a drawbridge. That's fun. I'm into that. I mean, if you're going to spend your money on dumb shit, like, yes. that's, that's a good Sea one. Seahorses in that. Like, yeah. this is maybe my favorite. Yeah. The building has recently received hundreds of visitors and many people leaving bouquets. Uh, then there's the, the Siemens Mansion. I'm the child. It's okay. <laughs> I'm a child. The Siemens Mansion uh, of 789 St. Mark's in Brooklyn. It was completed in 1904. It was sold, or I'm sorry, it had 32 rooms. Reasonable. <laughs> That's yeah. the most reasonable number. Yeah. Of That's rooms. the petite chateau right there. See. 
And the cost to build and furnish was $2 million, which is about $63.4 million today. Again, manageable. Yeah. <laughs> Far more manageable. Yes. Yeah, I just got to transfer that over real quick. Yeah, can you get a wire transfer? Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard wire, <laughs> wire transfer. transfer more in the last month than I have ever. Yeah. It's a problem with the bank. The bank. The bank. The bank. Um, my father. Uh, <laughs> uh, why are you the money? Uh, it was... It was... <laughs> It was get back to the buildings. It was sold for two hundred and fifty in nineteen twenty one, and it was demolished in nineteen twenty eight. So this little this little this little guy, this was, little guy, was twenty four years old. When he was demolished, you're, yes. you're anthropomorphizing <laughs> buildings. Yes. They ha- well, this is this is the little guy. So this is the run to the litter Aww. so far, um, and it was put down <laughs> at twenty four. So this is, let's see, today the former site of the Clarence Siemens Mansion is an out-of-the-way Brooklyn block lined with down-at-heels apartment buildings uh, and a few dilapidated townhomes. In the early 1900s, the area was known as the St. Mark's District, which was one of the most expensive and exclusive neighborhoods of Brooklyn. It was here that Mr. Siemens, a typewriter mogul, that explain yourself. That's fun. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. He's rich. basically Michael Dell, but like ye old Michael Dell. Yeah, Siemens, Siemens. Michael Dell. Yeah, and he hired an architect, Montrose W. Morris. That's a huge name. Mm. I guess Monty is what you do with that. And it was a four-story limestone. Everybody was into limestone mansion, widely considered to be the finest house in Brooklyn. The Italian Renaissance Revival home was a big topic of the day because it was so big and ostentatious. And that was a quote from Miss Spellin. I don't know what she does. I Miss Spellin. Miss Spellin. It had a bowling alley. Shit. A ballroom. That's where they kept the balls for the bowling. That's why they called it a ballroom. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what this is, um, but I'm going to say it. An orientalist room. Is that like... <laughs> I don't want to speculate because I have some ideas of what that could be, but I'm going to Google I it. I know, me too. An orientalist room. A lot room. of it has to do with like heroin. Yeah. Or opium. Oh, uh, I was... Th- I don't know. Like, I was thinking like murder on the orient like mm, is it somebody who's just familiar like an with an escape room when i when i google orient orientalist room it's just all interior design okay. like so it might be artifacts like yeah. that makes sense like a theme we have a room in our house that we call the vaporwave room because that's how it's themed so yeah but that's like one of what like 57 of our rooms yeah. so i don't really go in it that often yeah there uh, there's only a few reasons to yeah <coughs> Go in there. Um, there's also a swimming pool and an underground passageway Ooh. that led from the main house to the carriage house. That's very cool. Uh, he died in 1915, and his wife sold the house a few years later in 1921, and then it was later torn down to make way for the Excelsior apartment building. Excelsior. Uh, it didn't even last a generation. None of these did. Let's see. Do we care about more of these? How many more of these? That's a lot. That's a lot. Oh, there's just two more. We can do two more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People have already dropped off. (laughs) Whitney gets on a call with you and she's like, you choose three. Yeah. Bye. Bye. (laughs) You get three. 
so this one's in Riverside, and it's uh, Charles M. Schwab. That's why I was like, I should mm-hmm. probably keep Got going. Got that one. But Riverside Drive at 73rd Street. Completed 1906. Number of rooms, 75. Cost of land and construction, almost $9 million, which is around $279 million today. It sold for $1.5 million in 1947. Mm. What a huge... Ball bus. Yeah, seriously. And it was demolished in 1948. Uh, So it was a four-story home of steel magnate. I thought you were going to say steel magnolia. No. I was like, that's... No, Schwab was a steel magnet. Mm. He's just a big Julia Roberts fan. I mean, he could have been that. He would have been. I think that... Yeah, I think it would have been a huge Roberts head, as we we call ourselves. Rob head. Rob head. (laughs) He occupied an entire block. Uh, he paid 865000 for the land and spent four years and about $8 million on building the home. It was built of steel, uh, granite, and limestone. It was a freestanding 75-room home. Had a, also had a bowling alley, had a chapel, had a 60-foot swimming pool, which is bigger than that ballroom mm-hmm. mentioned previously. He also bought an organ for the house and concealed its pipes behind tapestries woven by a hundred Flemish women who had been brought to America specifically for that purpose. Wow. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. So gross. I hope they voluntarily came. (laughs) Or at least got a free ride to America and got to stay here. Yeah. Um, and then his finances were depleted in the depression. He offered to sell it and the furnishings to uh, the city to use as the mayor's official residence. And they were like, no, thank you. Um, so he just kind of sat on this and like he it was repossessed because to help him pay his debts. And then it was sold and demolished. Uh, and then there's the William A. Clark House on 962 Fifth Avenue. It was completed in 1911, and it had 121 rooms. It was $7 million to build, which is $209 million today. Sold for less than $3 million, demolished in 1927. So this one was 16 years old. <laughs> and so this was like... It, it was just, even by the standards of these homes, it was like, this is over the top. This is garish. <laughs> who is this? Miss Crane, who is, I'm assuming, a specialist in this. She says, it was just hideous because it was such a design mashup. Mm. Um, this is a senator, Senator Clark, who made his fortune in mining, banking, and railroads, had lived much of his life in Montana, and he represented the U.S. state uh, U.S. Senate represented Montana in the early 1900s. In building the house, he incorporated design elements that alluded to his two places of the heart, France and Montana. A classic mix. It's like a McMansion, <laughs> yes. like how it's just things that don't go together. Totally. It's like Tuscan and Tudor and country at it's, the same time. Yes, it's like... Um, like H-E-B would never combo no, no they know way better I just imagine like Montana and like a French chateau of like it's just like <laughs> it's just, sorry 
I've never been to Montana though, so like I guess a I don't log really. Like a li- like I imagine wood, but then like carved to look like like French, um, like Florida leaves. Yes, and, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's scaring me. It was surrounded by 20 foot high bronze gates. (laughs) Like, what are you doing back there? 121 rooms, including 31 bathrooms. That's a lot of bathrooms. Yeah. 25% of those are bathrooms. And five art galleries. Mm. (laughs) Which I'm like, well, he set it up. Like, make this a museum. Yeah. Good to go. And then let's see. There's a there's a book called Empty Mansions by Bill Deadman and Paul Clark Newell, which I think I might need to get. But this is like they're the ones reporting on this. But there was an ornate domed tower that rose nine stories high and the basement had Turkish baths, a swimming pool and a storage room just for furs. Damn. I love it. I love the Turkish bath idea. The pool and the Turkish bath idea. And I love a dome. I do love a dome. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't love a dome? Mm. Oh, are you no, not a dome I, I'm, I'm into the, give me that rotunda. Mm-hmm. Ooh. The house was only occupied for 14 years. And after he died in 1925, the house was sold and demolished. And now there's an apartment building standing in its place. Good. Yes. And those are, that's just, you know, what, 10 of the, the most expensive ones? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. But yeah, it's the scammer horn. Like, I always think of the scammer horns when I think of, like, big, bougie houses. And that's just because of gangs in New York. But oh. mm. I was thinking of, you remember that documentary, Queen of Versailles? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That lady who was trying to build like the most expensive house in America, and her husband just sat in that office room in his lazy dogs, boy. Like, shit everywhere, yeah. and like how rich people are actually really trashy most of the time. Yeah, yeah, that's what this last one for sure. Yeah, right. Reminds me. Just money doesn't mean you have taste. I think we all are aware of that. Oh yeah, yeah. and you haven't watched the Gilded Age at Mm-mm. all. I started the first episode, and I've that's been when watching it. I, w- <laughs> I was like. I don't get it. They're in New York, but their house, like, it confused me. Right. And then I saw this and I was like, oh, Oh, that makes sense. Oh, right. It it. wasn't all, you know, developed yet. Uh, I like it because it's, it's like terrible. (laughs) But like, Like the the characters are terrible. Like, you hate all of them kind of thing. A little. But, you know, it's, um, I really do not, I'm not a huge fan of Jane Austen's books because I don't care about like I could not get into rich people drama yeah in England yeah. in that Victorian or whatever Is era she and prejudice yes yeah and uh Emma and uh Pride and Prejudice is like, like I'm a slightly that. rebellious rich woman yeah Whoa. but it's like oh he hold, held her hand one th- yeah I couldn't get into that however I think it might now that I've seen the Gilded Age and have been into it's this i think it's yeah i think it. it's yeah. because i just don't give a shit about british shit mm. and now that i get to see it in america and it's like petty american new money old money stuff yeah. i love that and everybody in the gilded age i mean they're all wonderful but stupid and it's just it's pretty fun mm. I hate watch it, but it's not even hate watch. I don't know how to describe See, it. You I can just enjoy it and it know that it's like kind of dumb. Like it's very dumb mm. and I can't wait for every episode. 
Like it's still I coming mean, out. And this is a, a big admission. I I have I watched The Bachelor. Like I'll watch trash. Sure, yeah. sure. No, but I it's it's elevated trash somehow. Maybe yeah, it's because it's they, the Richies. Yeah. I well, just I just started watching The Bachelor like the last season and this season mm-hmm. and this season that guy was a fucking sociopath. Damn. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been thinking that I want to get into Real Housewives. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want to get Feels into. Like I want a nice brain rot that I can. Yeah. Yeah. Go below deck. That's the best one. Yeah. I want I want to get into that one too. But and that's about Vanderpump rules. I think I want to start from the beginning and just relive because yeah. I never watched any of it. And but it's. Yeah. Like I never got into the lexicon. I only know it because of like Bela celebrity stuff. Same yeah. thing with same thing with like below deck. A lot of the the reality show stuff is exclusively through stuff like Who Weekly. Yeah. And isn't below deck like it's not rich people that are the main characters. It's the people no. who work for yeah, them. Yeah. It's about the staff. Yeah. And I like, you it's know, it's like coming from service industry and seeing that, but then also they do have to deal with these rich assholes yeah. at the same time. So yeah. isn't it so. like Vanderpump rules, but on C where I everybody's never like Vanderpump. hooking up and a lot, a there is a lot of hooking up for sure. Yeah. But that's um, all I know about Vanderpump <laughs> is that I don't know about, it. but th- the owner of the boat that doesn't exist like these what? mega yachts so people own mega yachts right what is a boat uh that's true so it's this like, is like it's like a this big is like ski-doo. a very big ski do okay. yeah with rooms in it okay um how many and rooms? so for like certain seasons they'll just l- l- i don't know if renting it out is the correct term but like a time they hire a captain captain lee love him and they staff this boat and people can pay. Uh, I wonder it's like if an it's an Airbnb situation kind of, but it's more like you're paying probably like 50,000 or so to be on this boat for three days and have it staffed. I only say that because at the end you're expected to tip and usually the tip, a good tip is like 20 grand split that, between like 10 people. Yes. That's- pretty good that honestly yeah. just made me nauseous yeah but but that's just the tip oh yeah that's, that's how the just, staff yeah. makes money yeah. is that tip that's what yeah. they're really on it for, for three days like yeah it's usually the trips are anyways sorry i'm explaining below deck to y'all but it's pretty fun we from houses to boats so not boats big ski do yes got it big ski do's i would love for me to have an interaction with somebody who owns a yacht and they show it to me i'm like oh it's like a big ski do yeah <laughs> my mom has one my mom has one it's not that cool mm. now i just want to write a do. i love them mm. cool well i guess that's it yeah we're done we're done i'm gonna take a benadryl because i'm losing my steam so i might as well put it all the way out yeah, with the benadryl yeah. it's a sunday and mm-hmm. hope that this allergy bullshit goes away okay uh rate us on hot or not we love you pod, apple podcasts or wherever follow us at weird brunch tell your mom about us don't tell your dad, your dad about dad. us though no um and that's it goodbye It's really it's it's in this it's a spiritually the same as America wet. America wet. Don't worry about it. I don't know what America wet is. It's like, I'm it's, worried about it's it. When we, it's the nationalistic version of the Canada dry. Uh. <laughs>
America wet. We don't drink America wet. <laughs> That's the worst thing I've ever heard. 